It is the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny. He's Chris filling in this week for Andy, who is down in the sunny state of Florida. And he'll he'll tell you all about his adventures when he gets back. But Chris, I just want to first thank you for joining us this week. And, and we're going to talk a little bit more basketball than usual, which is why I'm really glad that you're here to help me out, because I'm terrible at this stuff. I know the ball goes in the hoop. That's about it. So I, I need your <laughs> I need your guidance on this a little bit to kind of parse what we've seen from Ohio State the last couple of games. Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best. But I think even uh, Chris Holtman would question me from time to time considering <laughs> his uh, continued angst with me uh, suggesting that he would not make a Final Four during his tenure here. I think I w- what wrote that two or three years ago. And uh, Is he still like in your DMs? And, and he's, just... he's brought it up once or twice. Awesome guy. <laughs> awesome guy. But he definitely uh, – made a point to, to, to no. hope that uh, he proves me wrong he said honestly i <laughs> like, me too buddy me too <laughs> we so okay i i remember when he was first hired and we had some kind of event maybe it was a 12th warrior thing going on at b-dubs mm-hmm. and he was there with his team which i was like that's incredibly badass and i got talked to him for like five seconds and he seemed like an incredibly personable nice guy giving us the time of day when he had no real reason to um i didn't think he would be the kind of guy to like actively search his own name yeah it's it's interesting but you know if you're a high states you know head basketball coach i think you know you just the fact that you play second fiddle to football a little bit, right. you're new. It's not like he's, you know, he's been in this particular environment before, obviously had successes at other stops, but yeah, mm-hmm. he does, he does seem to, um, I don't want to say work hard to control the narrative and none of this I say is a negative, but oh, no. he definitely seems a little more aware of that stuff and even proactive on that stuff than, uh, you know, that Mata certainly ever was. It's not like, our, you know, folks were hearing from Mata very often, but I think Holtman also runs a very open and honest Right. Um, you know, gig too. So you're like, I mean, make no mistake. I'm, I'm the biggest fan. I, I want him to succeed. I, had, you know, made a comment and I, you know, st- and I told him as much as anything, it's math, right? Like it's, right. Hard, to make, it's, <laughs> it's hard to make the final four. And like I told him in the uh, conversation we had was, you know, at the time I wrote it too, like, Hey, those recruiting cycles, like that wasn't final four caliber. And it wasn't, right. so, <laughs> well, hey, but he's, he's building something on, in that regard. So I give him, give him a lot of credit. He is. And, and and honestly, I'm not saying that to like slam the guy at all because he's a great dude and it's really fun to watch his teams. I just it is such a difference. Like you just mentioned, it's such a difference between that and football. And I kind of I kind of love it. I think it's kick ass. So in the spirit of that, uh, we're going to talk about football first <laughs> and then we will get into basketball and, and discuss the whys and wherefores of Ohio State's last few games. I want to start off with the Heisman ceremony. And, you know, I, I think this is kind of a, a preordained result. I'm pretty sure everybody knew going into it that Bryce Young was going to win. Um, we got a few things to talk about with that. But the first thing I want to ask you, Chris, did you watch the ceremony? Did you watch the Heisman? Do you get into that still? So I was um, my um, went out for my birthday last night. And oh, that's right. Happy birthday. I forgot. Oh, thanks, that. I forgot yeah. to tell you. Happy birthday. I'm so sorry. Happy birthday. No, man. no, no. You're fine. You're fine. But no, went out with my wife last night and I, you know, she's like, what do you want to do? I was like, actually something low key. I just want to go somewhere where I can have a couple drinks. And uh, I'm a big fan of like a touch tunes jukebox. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I spent 
four times as much money on the jukebox as I did on drinks because I, I'm the guy that does like the, the play it now and skip everybody else's stuff. <laughs> Even though it costs you like literally, you know, three or four times as much per right, play. Right. So well, you're the I, birthday boy. So come yeah, on. Exactly. I, well, we never go out. We got a five and a three year old, right? So I'm right. ashamed of the house anyway, but yeah, I spent over a hundred bucks in, in jukebox credits, That's awesome. but I think my bill was like, you know, 45 bucks <laughs> at the bar. So anyway, I say that to say that the, you know, I was listening to music. So it was on in one of the five TV screens, you know, we're at a sports bar or whatever, and you could see it, you know, kind of unfolding there. But I, you know, because there was no intrigue, I didn't watch it live, but I was, you know, obviously I've always got my phone in my hand looking at Twitter. So I knew pretty quickly that, um, you know, that Desmond you know, stepped in it once again. Um, but yeah, other than that, <laughs> I, I didn't actually hear the ceremony. I just was kind of casually keeping an eye on it. Yeah. We'll get to the, the Desmond Howard stuff here in a second. I, I, honestly i did kind of the same thing that you did you know what i mean where it's kind of in the background i'm not really paying attention i may be on twitter occasionally seeing what people are saying about it but i i just it it's weird to me because i feel like the heisman ceremony used to be something that i was super hyped up about oh, same, when same, i was younger yeah, yeah and, sure. and i've been trying to figure out why it doesn't have the same juice for me aside from the i mean look ohio state has had guys as finalists multiple times here recently where you would expect Ohio state fans to be like, Oh, let's, let's get really into it. But a, you know, who's going to win basically a week in advance. Like there's yeah. no real drama anymore. And B, I feel like when I was, you know, a teenager or whatever in the early two thousands, like social media didn't exist. The internet barely existed. You didn't get these kind of like personal profiles and instant access to some of these guys that I think you get now. Um, and I think because of that, there's no real desire on my part to like sit down with the Heisman ceremony and like, okay, I need a, a 20 minute Tom Rinaldi special on each of these guys <laughs> so that I know who I'm looking at, because I know by then I know who Bryce Young is. I've seen every aspect of his personality by the time the Heisman ceremony rolls around. So it doesn't just doesn't hold that much intrigue for me anymore. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally with you. I didn't really think about it in that regard, but you're, you're totally right. I mean, there's nothing to learn. Right. Um, from the show anymore. And, and not only just about the players, but just how pervasive things are with, you know, stats and all those kinds, like you said, I mean, they're just very often there's a lack of intrigue because you already know who's going to win, which is further compounded by the fact that, you know, only a quarterback really has a chance to win and that kind of, you know, what waters it down as well. Yeah. I mean, people last year was cool because, you know, you didn't get one of those pre <laughs> preset positional players winning, but like, I honestly, this year, I know Ohio State fans would maybe cringe at this a little bit. I like that Aiden Hutchinson came in second. I thought that was that was at least a positive step forward because that mm -hmm. to me is surprising more than a quarterback winning. And I, I want like I don't think they'll ever really get to the point where they're going to, uh, you know, allow a defensive player to really win this thing, because for whatever reason, the Heisman voters are like almost just as bad as, you know, baseball Hall of Fame voters. But um I think that overall, you know, I, it's going to be hard for somebody, especially like CJ Stroud to make more of an impact if they don't play in the last week of the season, right. In the, in the championship right. spot. So yeah. that was the second yeah. question that I had, which is, do you think fourth was the right for CJ? Uh, I, you know, I, I didn't love fourth. I thought that he would finish, you know, well, heck, I thought there was a chance he would finish second, but I think the Michigan sure. game, even though, you know, he threw for 400 yards and, you know, from my perspective, did his part, oh, sure. um, it, it seemed like that was going to vault 
Hutchinson, because as you mentioned, it's kind of like not just what you did all year, but what did you do as it leads up to voting? Like, mm-hmm. every, you know, I feel like everybody's got to vote for this and you know, half of them are morons and they're, they're really not <laughs> watching a lot of these, you know, they're not watching right. a lot of the games and it's, you know, just, re- you know, can be some recency bias and that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, Young obviously was going to win. I, I, I don't have a problem with Hutchinson um, being second, you know, per se either. I mean, he was a very distant second. I think Bryce Young's margin of um, victory uh, Mayfield in 2007 was bigger, but at least going back to 2010, when I was kind of scanning, this was the second highest margin of victory, you know, at least in the last 10 or 11 years. So yeah, hence there goes the entry, but yeah, Pickett being ahead of Stroud, I think was, it was a little interesting to me, um, especially because he was pretty clearly ahead of him. I mean, if you looked at the votes, Bryce Young had 2,311 points, Hutchinson 954, Pickett 631, and then Stroud was down at 399. So it's yes. not like he was really even that close. Well, Stroud, um, that, that's what blew my mind about the voting is that CJ Stroud got 12 first place votes. That put him, what, like, I think six uh, behind like every, like Will Anderson and Candle Walker the third. They, oh, they, yeah, all, yeah. they both got more first, right. first place right. votes than he did. And some of that is who he's playing with, right? It's just like the Bolitnikov. Those guys yeah. are all kind of, you know, kind of stealing from each other kind of thing. And that right. had as much to do with it. I mean, Stroud had more, had a 71% completion rate compared to 67 for Pickett, but Pickett had more yards. He had more touchdowns. He also had more interceptions. So mm-hmm. I think they both did a lot for their team, but I'm sure the argument is, oh, look who Pickett was throwing to versus who Stroud was throwing to. Right. I don't necessarily subscribe to that, but I guess in hindsight, I shouldn't be shocked that Pickett finished ahead of them, even though in the moment when I first saw the votes, it definitely surprised me, especially with the just, you know, like I said, that he was a pretty distant four. Yeah. So I, I, I agree with you. I think he probably deserved a little bit more juice than that. Um, CJ Stroud had an incredible year and maybe that's just become the, the expectation for a Ryan day quarterback that you're going to do that kind of thing. And like you said, people look at his, his wide receivers and go, well, you know, anybody would look great throwing to those guys. I don't think that's true either. Um, but it's it just, it's one of those things where it is kind of frustrating because I want to see, I want to see a legitimate discussion about who the best player in college football is. And I don't necessarily think that that person this year was CJ Stroud. I just think that the conversation is so rote at this point that it, it just, I don't know. It it almost feels like it's not really worth the amount of attention that it gets sometimes. Um, You know, we talk about it starting in like September and October. I'm like, we, we're not a, we're not going to know who's it's going to be until late November B somebody could just completely fall off the map and see it's going to be a quarterback or running back from a college <laughs> playoff team, right. right. That won their, their conference championship. There there's no, there, there is no real discussion that has to be had about this. So we always do it after the fact, but it doesn't really, you know, make much of a difference in the, in the actual regular season. So that's just the kind of thing that kind of like irritates me about the thing. Cause I, I think when I was younger, I, I always thought it was more fluid that there was more of a chance, like a guy like Indomitian Sue could win. And obviously that didn't happen. It should have, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I don't know. It, it, it's just one of those things that doesn't have the same kind of juice. However, I will say <laughs> what helped bring a little bit of intrigue was Desmond Howard's comments uh, during the, uh, Heisman Trophy ceremony, which really, really bothered a lot of people. Um, so basically, he said, uh, you know, that so Tim Tebow said that he was glad between he was glad that uh, Kenny Pickett was between uh, 
uh, Desmond Howard and I think what CJ between, Stroud Hutchinson, and between yeah. Hutchinson and Stroud, yeah. Hutchinson and Stroud, yeah. And then and then uh, Desmond Howard said uh, better than his offensive lineman, which again a, a shot at Ohio State's offensive line not doing such a great job in the game. Um, how how big of a deal do you think those comments are? Is that does that really make you upset? Does that piss you off when you hear something like that, or do you think that's just kind of like gentle ribbing during a a, a you know a collegial ceremony? Yeah, it, it doesn't make me upset. I'm, I'm past that kind of stuff. I think it, I think it's another log on the on the fire for sure. Which, frankly, I I appreciate as a high State fan. It's more of just that. I mean, Desmond as a professional in that role struggles to be professional. I mean, this isn't the first yeah. time where he's like totally gone fanboy. You know, where it's like that's that's not the forum to be the fanboy. Um, you're you're celebrating these individual players and what they've done, and I just, I just don't think it's the right place for. I mean, look at it this way: I, I can't imagine Herbie would do something like that ever. And I, Herbie's got his own set of detractors in, in the highest states, you know, fan base. But I think one thing I would always say about Herbie, whether you like his opinions or you think he's too hard on Ohio State or, or any of that, is that I don't feel like he would, you know, he, he would never do something like that. And like I said, you know, Desmond singing "Hail to the Victors" at the top of Ohio Stadium a long time ago. Like, right. I mean, the stuff is just you know it's just tacky fanboy stuff more than anything it doesn't doesn't piss me off i just think it makes him look like a jackass um, <laughs> he, he's you know seen it does and i think he's no it really, does you're right you know, you're right he's, o- he's okay with that it does so, it, it's part of his shtick and it's it's not these guys that... been waiting they've been waiting for a long ass time to be able to do this kind of stuff so they're just pulling stuff off the shelf that they've been putting up there for eight years right like right it's just, it, they can't they can't help themselves and they're so giddy about the fact that they've won i don't mean this sarcastically but they literally truly are that i think it's hard to keep in mind any type of decorum because you've you know you're finally letting it out kind of thing right and and it's it's weird to me too because i don't <laughs> you watch the ceremony right you watch the eisman ceremony and it's just it's so self-serious and you know you're joining this this great, you know, organization of men who have impacted the history of this incredible sport. And then, yeah, you got Desmond Howard, like being a a fan and kind of acting like a douche. And it's just, it's very out of place. It's not something that makes me upset. I'm with you. I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not furiously typing, you know, horrible tweets to Desmond Howard or anything like that and and getting fired from a media job. But um, what I am, am doing is kind of watching and going, it's like, this is, this is, I think tacky is a good word for it. Honestly, Chris, I think that's, that's a good way to put it. Um, I think it hurts Ohio state fans, especially a little bit because it it comes maybe on the heels of uh, other comments that have hurt the Buckeyes, I think maybe in their, in their feelings, right. A little bit Mm -hmm. Uh, CJ Stroud, you know, talking about how the flu impacted the game and people dunking them on for that. Uh, Marcus Freeman, newly hired Notre Dame coach, talking about how he didn't want to make the same mistake about going to Ohio state and things like that. Uh, how do you, what do you make of all these comments about, about maybe the atmosphere about how people are treating Ohio state right now, because you lose once to Michigan and it feels like, Oh, well, okay. Ohio state. They're, they're suddenly they're a Mac team. They're terrible. Yeah. Let's, let's grab yeah. on them. Everybody's taking their shots, which, you know, yeah. get them in, get them in while you can. Right. I mean, I get it. So I, I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's great for the rivalry, honestly. I mean, yeah. I'm not sitting here cheering for Michigan to have won this year, but it certainly has 
it did get to the point where Ohio State fans, many of them at least, I, I, I never don't feel like I ever did, but certainly felt more confident over those last handful of years than I had in my lifetime going into that game. But it's definitely, you know, ratcheted the rivalry back up, as you said. I mean, not just not even just how Michigan reacted to Stroud's comments um, and, you know, what Desmond said and, you know, the Freeman thing to me is a little bit separate, but the whole, you know, right after the game, Harbaugh saying that, you know, day, you know, implying right. about day that, hey, just because you're born on third base doesn't mean you hit a triple Gaddis calling them, you know, a finesse team that's not tough. Uh, you know, all those, all those kinds of things. I think you had Blake Corum or whatever kind of subtweeting Stroud after his out of his flu comments or whatever. So to me, all this stuff is great. And even Stroud finishing fourth in the voting and going there and feeling like, you know, Desmond was out of line. All those things don't necessarily make you win football games, but I do think that on Ohio State's side, I don't think they got complacent, but they certainly, you know, kind of zombie walked into that. Into, into Ann Arbor this time around, whether flu was a factor or not, to where you almost felt like maybe they were a little, you know, a little, little full of themselves going into that game mm -hmm. um, against that team. And, you know, Michigan, to their credit, it sounds like they had started preparing for that game as a, you know, a 365 day kind of thing that you always hear around Columbus. So it, this stuff to me, it just got to ratchet up how, you know, how day, how Stroud, how all these players, and frankly on Michigan side too, bring it to the table. And I, you know, that, that's good for college. That's good for college football. I'm, I'm not, I don't subscribe to, I want Michigan to suck every year. I want them to lose every game. Like I get some people say, Hey, you want those teams to be undefeated when they go in the game and break their heart. I don't care if their heart's already broke. Highest they can just <laughs> stomp the aorta just a little bit. That's fine. Like I'd still would rather than be 0 and 11 <laughs> after that game than 10 and one. That's just me. Sure. But, um, but yeah, I think this is going to, you know, just rev it up that much more, um, not just with fans, but with, you know, with the programs themselves. Right. Yeah. I think Ohio state and Ohio state fans. So both the program and the fans in general for Ohio state tend to like the position of being disrespected a little bit more than being the favorite or at least enjoy or feel sure, more comfortable sure. in that kind of position. Yeah. And I just, <laughs> it's, it's hard not to think back to um, before the Clemson game last season where, you know, there are, they already have motivation, right? They already want to try to win that game for a number of reasons related to the previous season. And then Dabo gives them the ultimate bulletin board material. And it's like, why would you do that to all? <laughs> do you, do you have any, like no one really seems to understand how Ohio state fans and how the Ohio state football program functions and, and what they need to like get up for games. Right. Because I think honestly, I honestly believe this, you know, I go on internet message boards, I go on Reddit, I look on Twitter. People I think have this concept of Ohio state fans as like these overly confident, you know, self-assured, we're always going to win kind of fans. And I don't know where the hell they're getting that from <laughs> because that's not reality. <laughs> like the reality is if, if one tiny little thing goes wrong, if somebody, you know, if, if CJ Stroud goes out and yeah, seriously, if CJ Stroud goes out and goes 19 for 20, people are going to look at that one incompletion and go like, what the hell is this problem? Like he missed a wide open, like they'll get really pissed about that kind of stuff. And I think that's the way the program functions too. It's like, they need mm -hmm. to have something to prove. They need to have something to be upset about. And I, there is, a number of things to prove and to be upset about going into this off season. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Last week, 
Andy and I talked about uh, the need to figure out the defense a little bit. And lo and behold, Ryan Day, who is, you know, clearly an avid listener of the 11 Dubcast, immediately went out and hired <laughs> probably the hottest defensive coaching commodity, defensive coordinating uh, commodity in college football and Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State. I'm, I'm pumped about this. Like this is, this is a dude who took that defense, which in the big 12, you know, commonly not known as a, uh, right. a really strong defensive league mm-hmm. and on a team that was mostly known for their like high powered offense. And he made that defense, the strength of the team. And, and honestly, statistically people are looking at it, Bill Connolly looking at it. There, there were, they were like the Georgia Bulldogs this season. Like if you look at in terms of statistics and how they're able to handle certain situations, they were a fantastic defense top to bottom. Uh, I'm pretty pumped about this hire. I don't know. I mean, how do you, how do you feel about it? I think he's a really interesting dude too. The, personality wise, he will be a lot of fun to cover. I think for our guys. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I think you're dead on. And yeah, I, I mean, I feel, I feel really good about it based on what I've known or about what I've learned since he's been hired, you know, when someone like uh, Kyle Jones, our, our film study guru, when, when, you know, when he's excited about something that usually, you know, that's going to help right. me get there for sure. Right. Even if I admittedly a month ago, couldn't have told you very much about him. I've seen Oklahoma state play and I knew statistically they had a good defense, but I didn't know much about, you know, Knowles the person or, you know, scheme or any of that kind of stuff. But, you know, having read what, not just Kyle, but some of the other folks out there, you know, on Twitter, there's a lot of really good folks in the highest state sphere that, um, you know, that have been breaking down a lot of film on what he likes to do and, you know, multiple fronts. I mean, because the highest mm-hmm. state, I mean, that's the biggest quite, you know, biggest problem people have had is that one, you feel like they're underperforming and not developing guys, particularly the, you know, linebacker position is one that definitely stands out and that they're a little bit too predictable on defense. That's what Matt Barnes was trying to fix after week two, right? It was like, Hey, everybody knows what we're going to do. And you saw even in the Michigan game though, Michigan, uh, well, I guess that was on the offensive side, new things that we were going to do. So I think that um, you know, the hire seems to make a ton of a ton of sense. And like you said, I mean, you know, Oklahoma State this year with a lot of three and you know four star type guys, number one in sacks, number one tackles for loss, number three yards per game allowed, number two third down conversion um, allowed. So you're talking about some really good really good metrics in there. And it was a guy, like you said, was in demand. I think Oklahoma State offered him, you know, well over a million dollars to stay. Florida and Penn State were interested in him before they went, you know, before they ended up going other directions. So um, definitely feels like the D is going to be better. And quite frankly, I hope this isn't, um, you know, the last of the the changes on defense. Obviously, it's going to have to be, you know, at least one more. But I think right. that, you know, sign me up for a few more. Well, whether actually, I was going to moving some people back into certain roles, or yeah. whether it's just you know separating ties with others. Um, we'll we'll see what happens. But, well, I was going to ask you. That's what I like. What do you think is going to happen with a guy like Kerry? I mean, Kerry Combs is obviously at the top of this, right? Because he's kind of in limbo right now. You don't really know what he's going to be doing. I guess if if anything. Right. Yeah. But there are a number of guys. I mean, look, Al Washington deserves some heat for the way the linebackers have played. Uh, this is not a banner year for the defensive line, although I don't think you want to get rid of Larry Johnson. But there, there's just there's a lot I think that you can do in terms of shuffling the deck. I, I don't know who do you think's maybe the most likely to to mosey on off. 
Yeah, well, it's it's a really tough question. I don't know. I mean, even you see these, I don't, I, I'm not looking for, you know, I don't want Larry Johnson to leave, but I've definitely read some stuff that he might be considering retirement or that kind of thing. I, I hope right. that he stays. I think he's, a, you know, a great recruiter and a great position coach. He's put guys in the NFL that I think the defensive ends were really any good this year. No, not really. I think Tyreek Smith's had some moments there, but I think Sawyer and I think, you know, um, JT, and I, I think there's still, you know, something there, obviously. I don't, I don't consider Larry Johnson a, a problem that's for damn sure uh, but when you start you know going to the second and third levels of the defense maybe maybe you start feeling a little bit different I, right. you know I'm, I'm not in I'm not in the woody right like I don't know how <laughs> impactful Al Washington is I know Pete Werner was pretty damn good and got developed pretty well even though some folks were you know late to a party or never came to that party that he's an NFL player right so mm-hmm. I think that he's developed you know I think he's definitely Washington has developed some guys but I also think you know, he looked at them this year and even those guys that transferred, but they weren't good. I mean, that's why they transferred. They weren't, they weren't better than the young guys that right. are still trying to find their way. <laughs> but I, you know, I mean, Taraji Mitchell, I'm not sure how much he, you know, how much did he develop? Not, not just Pope and, you know, some of the others that left. So it's going to be interesting to see, because I think, you know, the other thing with Knowles is that he has coached position coached all three levels of the defense, but mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure most of his position coach experience was at linebackers. And even as the defensive coordinator of Oklahoma state, I think he focused, you know, position wise, he focused on the, uh, you know, spent most of his time with the linebackers probably. So you know, right. Washington almost feels like I'm not even taking a shot at Washington, but, but does he become redundant? That that's what I'm unsure of with him, right? Depending on what Knowles may also do um, or not do. But their philosophy, maybe he wants them, but their or, or maybe their philosophies are a little bit different on the position. I have no clue, right? So, right. and with Combs, I, I would think Day. I don't know. I mean, I, I would personally, if, if Combs could stay and coach defensive backs, I, you know, he's, he's proven that he can do that. And he obviously can recruit. I just don't know if his, I don't want to say ego, because Combs seems like an awesome guy, but if he thinks he's capable of more and wants to get a defensive coordinator job somewhere, he'll be able to do that. It's not going to be at a high state level, but I, I would imagine he could find something like that on the open market. I wouldn't, honestly, I would not be shocked if Kerry Combs ends up staying at Ohio state just with defensive backs because i mean he's he's kind of an older guy um i think (laughs) honestly yes he could go be a defensive coordinator at maybe a max school or something like that i don't know he's going to be in high demand given the drama of this you know season with a big time d1 school you know he's not going to any blue bloods or anything like that um i don't know i i I can understand why ohio guy would want to stay at ohio state even in a different role um, and it's not like that's never happened before, right? Like, and, and people have gone on to do really good things. Look, Fickle steps down, goes on to do, you know, defensive stuff and then ends up being a head coach again. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be interesting how that plays out. Jim Knowles, when he was hired, got a lot of love from some of his former players, uh, on Twitter. They were talking about how much they loved him as a coach. He's an interesting cat. Uh, especially on on Twitter and, and other things like that. He just he definitely marches kind of the beat his own drum. And I, I appreciate that. I, I like that kind of personality. I think that's cool. Uh, seems really cerebral. Um, Cornell, right? Ivy, yeah. Ivy graduate. And, uh, yeah, not a I dummy. Worked on Wall Street, right? For a year before. Yeah. He, or at least a little while before he said, no, nah, I got I to gotta try my hand at coaching. Yeah. So he's he's one of those guys I just I think is very uh, – smart guy and just is able probably to connect with a lot of different types of people. So I think that'll help him too. Maybe that's one of the things that I guess you could, 
say that there might be a drop off or you could be worried about uh, is, is in recruiting because Kerry Combs, whatever his deficiencies as a defensive coordinator, he knows how to recruit. Right. Um, he'll get into somebody's home and, you know, right. he ingratiates himself really easily and, and just a really personable guy himself. Um, but I think Jim Knowles will do a good job with that. He also got paid. Uh, dude is going to be, I think, what, the 1.9 base salary and then with incentives that probably bumps it up even higher than that. Um, so I, for two things, okay, there's been rumors talked about and swirling around from some, I guess, I don't know much about the Chicago guy, but apparently a hack of some kind. I don't know. That's what's been said of this guy, but he's saying that Ryan day is a potentiality to go to Chicago and replace their head coach uh, at the, with the bears. Uh, Ryan day's agent said, that's not true. Um, but what do you, I don't know. Ryan day is going to get a pretty significant bump in salary, right? That's, that's kind of inevitable. Um, do you think he's going to stay first of all? And I think the answer is probably yes to that, but what do you think an appropriate salary for that dude would be going forward? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think he's going to stay. I don't know anything, you know, any more than you obviously, but I just, I don't, I don't know, you know, that, I could see him going back to the NFL someday, but I don't know that he would do it right this moment. I mean, that job's Maggie's been, you know, dead man walking all season, right? Sure. So if there were going to be overtures or that kind of thing, I think day, would he be hiring a defensive coordinator right now? I mean, right. so I, you know, the way those things stack up, yeah, it's hard for me to think that he's going anywhere, but obviously stranger things have happened as far as salary. I mean, he, he needs to be in the top, you know, he needs to be in the top six or seven guys, I think. So, so whatever that number is, then that's, you know, that, that's where he should be. Um, I, I think, you know, you talk about Harbaugh, of, you know, the whole, you know, born on third base, think you hit a triple thing. I think, I think there's some, I know that stings people, but he certainly was given to the keys to a, you know, to a Lamborghini that was already, it's not, it's not like it, you know, it's not like it needed the oil changed. Right. Like I think <laughs> he, um, inherited a good situation a great situation i think he's done or you know he's done a really good job um but it's not like he's well, I've won three national titles or the, you know this kind of stuff yet i, I don't want right. to leave him don't get me wrong but i think you know top i don't think he should be making what i don't even know what saving makes but he shouldn't make that much but it's just crazy because this is like baseball these days these contracts whoever signs the you know the late the whoever signs the most recent seems to be the person that's going to be the highest paid because everybody's got to outdo somebody else i i know there's no reason that, you know, maybe Saban needs his deal reworked too. I don't know, because there's no way that, you know, James Franklin or Mel Tucker um, can be making more than Ryan Day, right? That just doesn't that just, yeah. that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and I think that's probably what Ryan Day's agent is saying. Like, okay, well, let's take a look at these salaries. Let's see what you just paid a defensive coordinator. You know, do you really want your head coach just to be making, like, you know, an extra two mil above that? Like, that's, right. that's not right. really what you want. So, I mean, the salaries are definitely going to explode here, and that's fine to an extent. Um, I do think it's interesting though, that, you know, Jim Harbaugh had a huge salary and then took a giant hit, um, the year before, I think basically dropped half of it off. I think he was making like seven and a half, something like almost eight. And then he went down to four. And part of that they said was due to COVID, but also because they, they had to hire coordinators because they needed guys who would come mm -hmm. in and actually, you know, modernize that team in a lot of ways. And they did, um, but I don't know. I mean, what do you do now? You like bump them up again. It just, it feels like it's inevitable that this stuff is just going to keep going up and up and up and up. And, you know, as when they were first talking about Mel Tucker, you know, making like a hundred million dollars or something like that, um, you know, people were 
surprised and, and think that was insane and whatever. And then of course they went out and got skunked by Ohio state, but like, that's inevitable. That's going to happen. There's no, right. you know, right. people are making jokes about it and they say how crazy it is, but it's going to happen. Um, so I just, I don't know. I don't know if Ryan day is that first dude, but I'm not of the opinion that a lot of uh, Michigan fans and some other fans in college football seem to be that Ryan day is just this, you know, blank face. Who's just going to come in and, you know, basically keep steering the ship that's already on a, a good course. I, I think he's a much better coach than that. Um, and he's probably going to demand a pretty crazy salary. So whatever they update that, it's it's going to surprise a lot of people, I think. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm not here to say it won't be a big number. I do think, though, there's, you know, there's so much money you'll have to go around in that pie for your staff and everything else. And I think he knows the value of that's why Knowles is making what he's making, right? Because right. it's like, hey, I, you know, especially for him, because he's the offensive guy, right? Like he doesn't mm-hmm. need a he doesn't need an offensive co- coordinator making two million because he's the you know he's the freaking offensive coordinator for the most part, right? Like, right. I think Kevin Wilson brings extreme value. Don't get me wrong, but they need somebody that knows defense because that's not something he really wants to screw with. He needs <laughs> to know that he doesn't. Not no, I know that's what's funny about it. He yeah. like and he's upfront about that. He's like, hell no, I don't know anything about defense. He needs, yeah, about? he needs to know that he's got a, a even a top 20 defense he wants it to be better than that right yeah it's got to be at least like top 20 and he's got confidence with his offense and if he keeps he could keep Hartline around and you know can you know he can get a he knows he can recruit a quarterback he knows Hartline can go and get awesome receivers Alford you know after a little lull he's obviously recruited some running backs so I think you know it Jimmy's and Joe's are always going to, you know, typically are going to outdo the X's and the O's. And on that side of the ball, he's a, you know, he's obviously a whiz play caller, except for when games get tight sometimes, maybe don't feel quite as confident, but he needs somebody on defense that can do it so that he doesn't have to. Right. And focus (laughs) on making sure the offense is home. Well, I think that's the thing. Like Ryan day really just does not want to have to think about the defense more than it is absolutely possible and or is absolutely necessary. And I think maybe with Jim Knowles, he's got that guy who can kind of manage that and be the, I don't know. I mean, you want to be the Brent Venables, right? You want to be that, that guy, you want to have that guy on staff who you're like, okay, I can handle this half. You can handle that half. And we'll, you know, I'll make the executive decisions, but I don't have to be looking over your shoulder all the time. And some coaches enjoy doing that. Some coaches are fine with that. And, you know, you really get the impression that Ryan Day is just not that dude, which is fine. I mean, that's, I think that's completely understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jim Trestle was that guy, right? Jim Trestle was the dude who wanted to know everything was going on at all times and, yeah. would, you know, meet with every positional group and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but that's, you know, it's not good or bad. It's just how you approach coaching. Yeah, it's just a different way to lead. I mean, Cooper right. was the CEO and he let his coaches, you know, he let his coaches <laughs> coach. So, I mean, there's, right. There's lots of ways to skin the cat. I, I don't have a problem with his approach at all. Uh, and I think to your point, I mean, Knowles is a guy, I think he was a head coach at Cornell. He's been a head coach before. He's obviously led defenses for, a, you know, for a, for a long time now. So yeah, that's what he wants. You know, he wants, hell Urban wanted that. He, he was in the position rooms and doing all that, but he still wanted Shiana, you know, he's Ash, like one of those guys to really you know, be responsible. Right. Um, and for, you know, it, it, those coaches, like you said, they want, they want to be responsible for that too. So I, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it works out, but he, he seems like, you know, and he's an East coast guy, right. I think he grew mm-hmm. up in the inner city of, of Philadelphia. I think I was reading and, um, Oh, it feels like it's got a chance to be a really, really good match for Ohio State, and that's one thing about Day. Whether he wants to be on, you know, in the defensive room or, or whatever, he's not afraid to make a move. I mean, it took, it took a lot of balls in week two to say, okay, 
Combs is no longer calling the defense and, and doing <laughs> right. that on the fly. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, is that an overreaction? Is that, you know, what is all of that? And knowing that it's kind of hard to change the, you know, the, the tires on the bus when the thing's moving. Well, and, um, and to tell a guy with as much experience as a coach as, as Kerry Combs that like, you're, you're not going to be on the field anymore. We're moving you to the booth. And now right, we're putting right. a guy like Matt Barnes who, you know, I don't know. I mean, how old is Matt Barnes? Do you think? Oh gosh, I don't know. He's, I mean, I don't think he's 40. Yeah. So he, Kerry Combs has probably as almost as much coaching experience as Matt Barnes has, you know, actual mm-hmm. years on this planet. Sure. sure and yeah. to, to make that move, like you said, that it's a ballsy ass move. So I, I appreciate that too. And I, you know, I also appreciate the speed with which they locked down Jim Knowles too, because had that kind of, I mean, obviously they have to, right. Because the early, you know, recruiting period and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, they got to make sure that they get guys into and recruits homes and, and talk to people. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think they did a really good job with this hire and I'm excited about it. Let's shift gears here. Uh, this is, I'm really, this is part of why I'm really glad you're, you're guest hosting this week, Chris. I want to talk a little bit basketball. We, we mentioned it last week about how Ohio state took down Duke. Um, I guess it's easy to look at that in a vacuum and say, okay, well, it was a one-off or, you know, number ones this year just aren't doing super hot, but since then, right. Since then they've, they've beaten uh, Penn state, I think pretty convincingly they took down Towson um, and then they, they just handled Wisconsin pretty well. So first of all, I'm going to get to some specifics in a little bit, but how are you feeling overall about this team and, and how they're kind of evolving and moving on? Cause Chris Holman at the beginning of the season was, was one of those guys kind of saying, look, this is going to be a learning process, right? There, there's going to be some growing pains here. Um, are we seeing that? Or are they kind of rounding into form that we want to we want them to be at? Uh, yeah, it's interesting because the first couple games they looked a little, you know, they looked a little uh, looked a little rocky at first. Akron and uh, but I think Bowling Green was the first blowout. The first couple games they didn't, they didn't Niagara didn't didn't really look too great, right? So yeah, I think that um, you know it definitely is going to be a work in progress. You got like a lot of people will point to the roster and they talk about how experienced the team is, but. I don't know that, I mean, that matters, but what really matters is are guys in the same role that they were in before, or are they being asked to do something different and or more? And mm-hmm. I think that's the case with just about everybody on the team. Even E.J. Liddell has counted on to do more than last year. And oh, by the way, he's doing more of it on the perimeter by choice, right? Because he knows if he's going to have any shot to play at the NBA, he needs to act on that feedback and show he can be a better perimeter defender, that he can be a better ball handler, that he can extend his range, you know, on his jumper, all that kind of stuff. But he even he is adjusting to a new role. Zed Key's playing more minutes. Kyle Young's a six man. Michi's trying to show that, you know, he belongs and deserves more minutes. Branham's brand new. Russell transferring in. Wheeler's about the only one, and he's brand new to the team who's playing the <laughs> same role that he did last year. If you think about it, I mean, he's yeah, the only no, you're one right. that is playing the exact same role that he did last year. And I think that is where I think that's really what Holman means when when he's you know talking about kind of the team evolving. And oh, by the way, you're doing all this when heading into the season, what you were trying to tell guys that maybe the guardrails of their roles would be like on the low and high end. All mm-hmm. that even got shuffled a little bit when suing was, you know, when right. it was announced that suing was going to be out for a couple months. So I give Holman a lot of credit. I think that um, 
some of the times where they haven't looked that great and he's trying, you know, rotations where even sometimes I'm watching, I'm like, why are these three guys in with those guys? Like who's going to score in this lineup? I think he's because he's tinkering because he's trying to figure out what his rotations are going to be when he's, you know, in the thick of the big 10 conference kind of thing. So I think they're, you know, ahead of schedule um, on this season in my perspective, because I do think the roles are becoming clearer um, a little more quickly and I'm so much becoming more clear, but, but people are actually settling in into those roles, maybe the two guards in one spot where I still have a fair amount of questions of you got options, but what, what should the picking order be? And what are they mm-hmm. going to start playing a little bit better? Like you have some of that, but overall, I think that uh, he's got to be pretty pleased right now. I mean, you're eight and two, you got, you got wins in the book already over Duke and Seton Hall and Wisconsin. Uh, those are three, you know, those are three legit wins against teams that are uh, in, you know, probably inside Ken Palm's top, I don't know, 20, 25, something like that. So yeah. pretty good, pretty good start to the season, right? I think it's, I mean, it's better than I thought it would be, honestly, at this point. I thought they were going to experience a lot of difficulty figuring out scoring. And I still, I'm still a little concerned about how much, and I wrote about this um, uh, past couple of days, but I, I'm a little concerned about um, how much of the offensive load that EJ Liddell is being asked to kind of shoulder. But I don't, I mean, maybe I'm a stupid man, Chris. And I like, I need to know, is that a reasonable concern on my part? Because maybe it's okay that EJ Liddell is asked to score 20, 25 a game. And then everybody just kind of does mop up duty and then they, they can win that way. Um, or do you think that they need to find more consistent scoring outside of a guy like Zed Key, who right now I think is literally the second best scorer, or at least the second highest scorer on the team on a game to game basis? Right. Yeah, no, I mean, they're definitely putting a lot on, you know, on Liddell right now, averaging 20.6, I think it is. And yeah. Zed, Zed and Kyle Young are the only other two in double figures at, at 10 apiece. But you are seeing a lot of guys play in the rotation. And, you know, even last year we saw that, like, at some point you're like, okay, he's going to start shrinking down the rotation. But he really never did. Right. Um, and, and we'll see. I'm not saying that's good or bad. It just was interesting. I mean, you know how mod it was. I mean, he, you know, he'd roll with seven dudes. That was that's it. right. You, you know what I mean? And, and even like, Evan Turner, I mean, he, you know, he probably averaged 35 minutes a game uh, the one year he was asked to do everything. Mm-hmm. I don't think that Turner's going to have to do quite, or that Liddell's going to have to do quite as much as maybe Evan Turner was asked to do. But yeah, I think it's, it's, I don't want to say that it's, you know, concerning per se. I think this is part of that evolution of role stuff that we were just talking about that, you know, these, a lot of these guys just need to continue, like, like Malachi Branham right now, right. Averaging six points and not, you know, still kind of finding his way for sure. Right. Like 38% mm. from the floor and cutting it, um, turning it over too much. I know he's got more, you know, more turnovers and assists. Like that's, he's going to, continuously get better right so even that okay now says okay you need Liddell to score 18 a game because Branham's going to score two more than he is now kind of like that's what you're hoping for right is all these other guys just pick up a little bit collectively pick up some of that slack and oh by the way if suing comes back that's another guy that you can count on to get you you know anywhere from you know 12 to 12 to 16 something like that on a given night Um, that'll take some pressure off too so I, I hear what you're saying but to me the calorie comes in the form of Everybody else just doing a little bit more as they get comfortable or a handful of these guys doing a little bit more, right. not, not a ton more. And then suing really being that guy when he gets back, that gives you another legit option you can go to, um, to, to get a bucket. Well, and I think it may be not even just on the offensive end. I think you're starting to see guys contribute more in ways that they hadn't before. 
Um, I mean, Justin Arnold, I mean, he's, he is a source of frustration for me because I want him to be like consistent and do what he's, you know, supposed to be doing and get his own shot and all that kind of stuff. And that's just not really who he's going to be on a consistent basis, but I think he's been playing better defense. You mentioned it in Slack too, right? That, that he's like started to actually not be a complete liability when he's out there. He's got more effort. Um, a guy like Kyle Young really trying to develop his three point game that, those small things, I think, all serve to make Ohio State a much more dangerous team than just EJ Liddell and company. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's, it's not a situation if you're playing Ohio State where you can just lock down one dude and then kind of, you know, not have to worry about anybody else. Like, even a guy like Zed Key, um, Zed is, is Zed, right? We love Zed Key, and, you know, we kind of make jokes about his finger guns and all the other stuff that he does. But I just think he's, he's turning into a really solid all-around player um getting better on the boards even i don't i don't know i i really like kind of what i've seen from him especially just in his sophomore year uh not in the sense that like i think he's gonna be an all-american candidate or anything like that but just that he is adding some really important minutes to a team and at a position where it felt like they were just kind of hanging on for dear life last year. It, it doesn't feel like that anymore in 2021, I guess. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm, I'm with you for sure on Zed. I think he's, he's really impressed me this year. I think he's one of the higher basketball IQ guys on the whole team. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. and, and, and I think that, you know, he's, he's like you said, I mean, he's going to be a four-year player for Ohio state and that's great because he's going to get better every year because I do think he's a student of the game. I think it's what, what I've, you know, what we've talked about on Slack a few times is that what, what I really like about Zed is that he knows what his range, is and you know heard the other night on the telecast Holtman was you know supposedly Holtman was saying that you know they want him to practice threes and but that's fine but he's not gonna be shooting threes he's gonna be <laughs> shooting you know 12 feet man that because he can get in that close because he's right. so great at using his ass to get position mm-hmm. before the ball even comes right like he's he knows when to start back and in to get his spot like when the ball is on the other side of the floor is when he's gonna you know gonna gonna swing through and and and, and start to get his moves so that, that when the ball gets to the other side he's already got position he's where he can get a post entry and what he's really added is that this year it doesn't matter which block he's on or if he even gets the ball at the high not really high post but maybe mid post is that he can spin either direction now mm-hmm. because he can shoot with either hand like he literally he showed a little bit of lefty touch last year but that was really under he had, you know he'd already backed his man down into the into the dotted you know the charge circle or whatever sure now he can start that a little bit further out and, and i mean i don't know the metrics I, I'm, I'm sure ohio state does but i feel like he shoots with his left more than he shoots with his right off of those spin moves and those things are devastating i mean he's doing a great job with that not only with just like the touch around it you can tell he's practiced this literally thousands of times in the offseason but the way he gets into his guys like because he doesn't always have a height advantage but he does a good job of getting into the defender's body so that they really can't maximize their jump like it's not just shot fakes that he relies on to, to be able to you know jump higher than you he does a good job of kind of breaking those guys down so they really can't get you know they can't get the lift or they're, they're not quite on their timing for him to get his shots off and I, i've just been so impressed to me that's just like those little things that you see that he does that tells you like he's you know goofy and fun and this and that but that dude's really smart and knows how to maximize what he's got offensively. his positioning is really good on offense and defense it just feels like he's always exactly where he needs to be you know what i mean he's just very very smart about knowing how to put himself in an advantageous position even if he's maybe like 
athletically or height wise or whatever at a, at a disadvantage, depending on who he's defending against or playing against, he's really, really good at getting in the right position to allow himself to do what he needs to do. I think that's really, it's, it's fun to watch. It's just really fun to watch. Um, by the way, how, how many threes would you say that in his career uh, with Ohio state Zed key has attempted for Ohio state? Oh, I didn't even know if he had, had he taken any yet. He has taken uh, zero. He has, yeah, he has I was gonna say, I, didn't, I didn't think he had. I mean, if he did, it'd be one of those ones where it's like before the half and it's actually right. a three quarter, three quarter court type deal or something. Yeah. But yeah, I think 41 games, to, zero attempts. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds about right. And that's where he should be. I mean, you know, you're up to yeah. one. That, that's fine. But his game is not going to expand at a three point. I mean, that that's just that doesn't make any sense. So yeah. Um, like Kyle Young maybe does that. He's a little bit more perimeter oriented that, you know, that's, mm-hmm. there, there are two different body types playing, you know, two different games basically. Well, I'll be honest. I was surprised by Kyle Young kind of integrating that as part of his game. And maybe I shouldn't have been right. Because it's not like he had never taken threes before. Um, but definitely in the past couple seasons, that's, that's something that he's really stepped up and, and this season in particular, I mean, it's, it's been way more than it ever has been, but if you kind of look at the progression of his career, I mean, I think in the first, so I'm looking at it right now in the first uh, year that he played for Ohio state, 25 games, let's see, he had, he had 10, three point attempts. Right. And then, um, you know, he reached that within like five or six games here in this season. So I, I, I like that that's part of his game. And I like that that's part of, that's something that other teams have to prepare for when they're playing Ohio state, um, that he's not just going to like jack it up and, you know, they don't have to defend him. Like he can hit three or four in a game. Um, so I think that's pretty cool, which, so besides, you know, of the really young guys, right. Besides Zed key, who are you most excited about um, in terms of the younger players who are getting some minutes right now? Well, younger players, obviously it's, you know, obviously it's Branham, right? I mean, he's got to be, (laughs) he's the guy with the highest ceiling out of all these guys by a mile. So, you know, like I said earlier, I mean, he struggled a little bit right now. He's starting, but he's only shooting about 39% from the floor. He's got uh, more, more turnovers than assists. Those are, those are things you don't want to see. What, what I see with him sometimes is that it's, it's interesting, even though his body is big 10 ready, sometimes I think when he is either on the move or even when a defender kind of gets into his body, he's just not as strong with the ball as he needs to be. And I don't think that's a, that's not a physical strength problem, right? That's just a, adjust to the college game problem. It's not right. like he's, you know, got spaghetti arms and they're just taking the ball away from him. Like he's just not um, adjusting maybe as quickly as I thought it would, as I thought he would. And that's not a knock on him. I, like I said, I, the last person I'm worried about being good on this team is Malachi Branham. I just thought maybe he'd be even a little bit further along than he is right now, but you see flashes. It's kind of, it's kind of like that puppy. That's like a, you know, has the big feet, like a, like a large <laughs> breed dog or whatever. Right, it's yeah. like, man, you can see that it's there, right? Like the dude's going to be a beast kind of thing. It's just a little, not even clumsy. And it's probably not even the best analogy. I just, I see him making mistakes now that I know he's not going to make because they're not about physical. They're about lack of, you know, just about like lack of experience at this level and it's a jump too especially but high it's not like high states played you know played akron every week they've they played some good teams already with xavier and seton hall and florida and duke and penn state and wisconsin penn state's not great but that's a big 10 team i mean the right. only layups they've had are akron niagara bowling green and towson basically and even towson obviously that was you know not uh not not a terrible opponent so i think he hasn't really 
maybe part of the reason he hasn't come along as quickly as I thought is maybe I didn't consider the schedule as much as I should have that says, Hey, you know, he's, he's getting thrown right into the fire and doing it as a starter. So to answer the question, I think Malachi is, is, you know, the one of the young guys, obviously that I'm, that I'm looking at the most, but um, Michi obviously at the same spot is another one where you heard a lot this summer about how he had really, you know, kind of taken off and gone to that next level kind of thing. And I've seen him go next level as far as he definitely has balls. He's not only is not afraid <laughs> to take a big shot. He's, right. you know, he, he wants to take the big shot. And I think that's great. That's awesome. But he's got to make more than 35% of the shots. That's right. I mean, that's, that's his thing right now too. And just like Branham, more turnovers than assists. And that, I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, Jamari Wheeler, a veteran, right. Which hopefully we'll talk about him a little bit, but he he's three to one assist to turnover ratio. That's what you'd want. Now, he's the point guard, but you can't be a guard and be upside down on your assisted turnover ratio, right. right? Like that just, that just can't happen. And right now, Branham, Michi and EJ are all more turnovers than assists that are guys with that are, you know, primary, like I consider EJ a primary ball handler at this point. He's not bringing it up, but because he's got the ball in a face up position way more than he ever has and just has the ball in his hands more in general than he ever has. Um, I think he's, he's struggling a little bit with that adjustment because I think he's like, a, you know, 3.3 turnovers a game or something like I know he's leading the team, mm-hmm. um, but, but yeah, for the young guys, I'm starting to ramble a little bit. I'm no, no, no. It's, I, just, it's, I want to see him. Yeah. It's important because I think a lot of players, who you don't see a lot of or you don't know too much of you see those big shots right you see like Michi you know throwing up big shots or whatever and you don't necessarily look into their game too much and and see how they're developing especially this early in the season the the other thing though and I wanted to ask you about this and I did want to talk about Jamari Wheeler a little bit but in in this context which is you're getting into Big Ten season uh Chris Holtman's teams have not done super well at the beginning of winter, right? Like December, late December through January, it feels like they take a couple steps back. Does a guy like Wheeler and, you know, yes, you have other vets like Kyle Young and whatnot, but does a guy like Wheeler come in at a really critical position and help steady that a little bit and and make it easier for them to continue what they've been doing and not take a step backwards because he has that experience and because he is doing so much better, I think on ball, you know what I mean? not turning it over, making sure he's got right. assists, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you need a floor general, right? I mean, that's yeah. whether you're trying to stop an opponent's run or you're trying to get your offense going, you need a guy who's going to have the ball in his hands the most to, you know, be the, to be the facilitator of all that. Right. Again, whether Mm -hmm. you're trying to stop a run or create one. So, and he's been, he's been nothing short of awesome. Like I said, which is so weird when Ohio state went to the transfer portal. I know at first some people are like Jamari Wheeler, like dudes, like he, that is absolutely exactly what he needs. He didn't need a a shooter. He didn't need a point guard. That was a score first guy. I think everybody thought he did because Dwayne Washington was, you know, was moving on, but shitty defense was Ohio State's biggest problem last year. And then late in games, and I, I frankly would put this as much as Holtman as anybody else, of just no no longer really even trying to run plays. It's just like, okay, give Dwayne the ball and get out of the way and hope <laughs> it works out. And that really just, you know, proved to not be a great strategy late in a, in a lot of games. But I, I think with Wheeler, you're going to run an offense. And he, you know, again, at the defensive, well, I'll tell you, on defense, he's got 15 steals already. That's the second most in the Big Ten that's seven more than any other teammate. And in fact, when you look at the other guards, Michi, Brandon, and Cedric Russell, they have 15 combined. So they have as many steals as he does. 
combined and they've played 200 more and more minutes uh, collectively. So, you know, at the defensive end, he really disrupts what teams want to do. And then at the offensive end, I already touched on it, 43 assists against 14 turnovers. I mean, that is just a turnover ratio is what, you know, you know is what you want to see. Um, and you, you throw those things into a stew and that's just, that's winning basketball. The guy plays winning basketball. Yeah. So what you're telling me is that he's essentially just, you know, Aaron Kraft and everybody should be super excited that he's on the team and, you know, continue to contribute. Right. Like that's, he's, that, that's what I'm, that's what I'm picking up from you is that he's exactly like Aaron Kraft. That's his game. <laughs> I think, I think Kraft scored a little, maybe scored a little bit more. I think Wheeler's in the six point range right now. I think yeah, something like that. closer to nine or 10, but, but I think uh, honestly, I feel like Wheeler could maybe even be a little bit more aggressive uh, looking to score. And I think Holtman's even talked about that from time to time, but I would not question Wheeler's, you know, just feel for the game kind of thing. I right. think he's a very, you know, very selfless um, player that's looking to get everybody involved, but I've just, I've just been so impressed. And he's another one when he came in, like I said, I'm like, yeah, this is this is gonna be a really good fit, and he's been an even better fit than uh, you know than I would have expected so far. I think he's a big reason why Ohio State's defic- adjusted defensive defensive efficiency ranking is better, and it's another reason the offense has continued to hump. Because even last year, even though it struggled late in the games, through in my opinion, sometimes lack of strategy, the offense last year was super efficient, and you're seeing right. you know you're seeing the same thing this year. Yeah, I mean, Jamari, I mean, two-time All-Big Ten or Big Ten All-Defense, I think he's like approaching 140 games played in college basketball at this point. Um, That's, I don't know, I I think that's an invaluable dude to have on the team. And yeah, Holman definitely pulled off a a coup getting him to come to Columbus because I think that's incredibly helpful and, and will be incredibly helpful in the next month or so here, especially. Uh, so we're going to, we're going to wrap this up here in a little bit with ask us anything, but before we do that, I want to ask you, Chris, we got Kentucky coming up in about a week. How do you think they do against them? Kentucky just got upset by a Notre Dame team that I think plays in some ways a lot like Ohio state does occasionally, but how do you, how do you think they play against the Wildcats? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, a neutral port game. I think it's in Vegas, right? At the uh, CBS I think so. Sports yeah, yeah. Classic. Yeah. So again, Kentucky's you know they've been pretty inconsistent this year, but you know they're always going to have some have some athletes for sure, and that's that's certainly the case this year. Oscar was it Tashibwe? I think he's a he's a load, right? I think mm-hmm. he's, big dude. What, six six nine two fifty something like that. And he's averaging sixteen and fourteen, so that's going to be something for you know for Zed and and Kyle Young and you know Lord help us, Joey Brunk all try to get in there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and try to bang with him a little bit, but Ty Ty Washington's also, you know, also a pretty good player for them. Yeah. Um, about, about 14 a game. It's, it's weird. They don't they, you know, they still rotate guys, but maybe not quite as much. They, they got, they got three guys playing, hell four guys playing about 28 minutes a night. So they, um, you know, maybe aren't quite as deep as they've been in previous years, but they're certain, they're certainly beatable. I think you want to make sure that you, uh, you know, if they miss shots, you need to make sure you get on the glass, but Right. Um, you know, I think uh, Kentucky might have might have more talent top to bottom. It's Kentucky. But as far as a team, I don't know if they're playing better team basketball than Ohio State right now. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go with the uh, the BK 50 50 time will tell. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, that's 50, 50. <laughs> I, I would take, no, seriously though. I take that. Like, look, if you're looking at the schedule at the beginning of the season and you'd ask me, all right, so they're going to play, right. They're going to go at Xavier. They got to play, you know, Duke, they got Florida, they got Kentucky. I, I you know, if they can split that, I'm going to be okay. I'll be, I would have been happy with that. I think 
Well, they've been competitive in all those games too. Yeah, right? exactly. I mean, the, the Xavier game was the only one where I felt, I mean, they lost by six, but I didn't really feel like, I mean, they didn't feel in that one to me. They were, but just the offense, you right. could tell it was the first road game they had played, you know, pretty much ever. Oh yeah. Kind of thing. Right. Like they just didn't really ever look comfortable in that game versus right. Seton Hall win was a great game. The Florida game that, you know, they lost with a three on the buzzer, uh, obviously the Duke game. So they've been in some, been in some close games and they, um, have you know fared very well in all of them even the one they lost they at least looked like they deserved to be there kind of thing so mm. I, I i'm with you i mean they, they you know basically split those games you got to feel pretty good about that and then it you know, feeds into you know getting into i think after kentucky there's a couple layups right ut martin and new orleans and then you get into the thick of the big 10 but yeah as i look at that january slate i mean i yeah i, I don't see the january swoon this year i, re- I really don't yeah well i mean you got <laughs> You got to play what Nebraska twice, I guess. So that should yeah, help you, you out a little. Nebraska's in January. You got Penn State this time at home. Yeah. Northwestern. Northwestern's like 37th in Ken Palm. So they're, you know, they're, they're certainly a decent team. But yeah, Indiana's 27th in Ken Palm right now. They're in that mix. Wisconsin, obviously, we saw them. They're, you know, they're going to be a, even though Ohio State blew them out. Um, it's going to be a little bit tougher when you got to go, you know, to Madison to play. But right. yeah, I just, I just don't see the wheels falling off in uh, in January at all this year. This team feels like it's going to be more consistent. I agree. Um, so thank you for for giving us some some basketball info because that is definitely something that I I, I need to brush up on. I need to get better at, and I appreciate that. Um, we want to remind everyone that the Dubcast is sponsored by the Dry Goods Store at elevenwarriors.com. Drygoods.elevenwarriors.com. Shirts, hats, stickers, all kinds of great stuff. It's Christmas time. I recommend buying some things and giving them to uh, your friends and family. How about that? Or just random people. That would be a very nice thing to do in the holidays. So you should do that. Uh, we also want to do some Ask Us Anything, which I'm really excited about. And Chris, I believe this is your first time with Ask Us Anything. So congratulations to you. Um, Chris, I don't tell anyone um, uh, what the questions are ahead of time. So you're going to this completely cold. That's just kind of how it works. I apologize. Um, and if you want to ask us questions, you can do so by sending us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast on Twitter. Uh, this question comes to us from our good friend Alvin, who wants to know simply, Chris, um, what is your favorite movie quote of all time? My favorite movie quote of all time. And if you need a minute to think, I, don't, you know, I know I sprung it on you. <laughs> I can give you a second because I have one ready to go, but you, yeah. I want, I, I want to get the instant reaction. I'm not quite Dan Hope level of watching movies. I think he's seen what maybe I'd set the over at three and a half on how many movies he's seen in his life. Um, <laughs> Dan, Dan's not a, I forgot not a movie about that. guy. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Dan, Dan does not enjoy movies. I don't, I don't watch a ton, but yeah, mine would probably either have to come from like Dazing and Fused or Friday or don't be a menace in South Central while drinking your gin and juice in the hood or like airplane, like literally it's probably the form or, you know, one of the vacations, I guess. But I mean, those are all uh, very good choices. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll probably just keep it simple and go with uh, Wooderson. Uh, all right. All right. All right. You know, like, <laughs> can't go wrong. I love I love the fact that Matthew McConaughey has basically turned that into that that one quote into an entire career. You know what I mean? Like he can act. The dude is act. He's been in some really great stuff. But it okay, if if it, at any point in time the serious acting dries up for that guy and they're like, "All right, we don't want you in the true detective kind of stuff anymore or the Dallas Buyers Club." 
uh we just want you to be like you know the the goofy random guy or whatever the romance guy he can just fall on back on that until the day he dies because that's just that's a perfect like no one else can do all right all right, all right. he's a talented talented dude for he sure. is i, I think Dallas fires clubs and awesome i've actually seen that i can't believe you know i didn't know what what are some movies you were gonna gonna pull out but yeah Dallas buyers club he's awesome in that yeah that was a movie that really i think that was the first time um that was the first time I'd seen him in a role that like, he wasn't the, the lame, like, I don't know, you know what I'm talking about? He wasn't like the, <laughs> the laconic romantic interest. Right. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like yeah. that was the first like real serious thing. I was like, Holy crap. I, I can't believe I'm watching Matthew McConaughey. That's crazy. <laughs> um, so there's a movie that I really, you know, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman, right? Yes. So the late, the late, great Philip Seymour often um, started out doing really ridiculous random roles. Like he was the sidekick. He was like the buddy in, um, uh, in like the, these nineties movies, he's in twister, right. Where he's like a really annoying tech guy. Uh, I think he was in like a Ben Stiller movie as like the annoying friend. Um, and then he went on and just developed them to be like one of this great, incredible actors. And there's this movie called uh, Charlie Wilson's war. And it's not, it's, it's an Aaron Sorkin movie. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of got like this whole thing where it's, I don't know. He just, it, it's all the dialogue sounds the same and it's, it's just the way it is. But anyway, the, the premise of the movie, it's based on a true story about a guy who helped arm the Mujahideen in Afghanistan in the 1980s uh, to fight the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. And there's a guy in the movie uh, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, who is based on a real dude who was a CIA operative um, who was the son of a Greek immigrant. And in this scene, uh, he's basically being turned down for a promotion in part because the CIA does not trust him because he's the son of an immigrant and he's really, really upset about it. And there is a, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman just absolutely loses his mind in the scene. It's one of my favorite movie scenes of all time. And so he goes on this extended rant about uh, the person who's denying him the promotion and all this other stuff. And at the end of it, he says, uh, my loyalty, and he's screaming this, which I'm not going to do, but he says, my loyalty for 24 years, people have been trying to kill me. People who know how. Now, do you think that's because my dad was a Greek soda pop maker or is it because I'm an American spy? Go F yourself, you effing child. And then uh, right before that, he smashes this giant glass window uh, in the office and it, with a hammer. And it's, it's freaking kick ass. The whole scene is great. I'll link to it in the, in the post. Uh, a, but a hell of a setup. You went a lot deeper than me on your quotes. Dude, well, I had the advantage of getting to see these questions ahead of time. So it's not really fair. I apologize, but I'll send you a link to this. It's one, it's one of my favorite the whole movie is really one of my favorite Philip Sermon performances, but that scene in particular is probably one of my favorite scenes of any movie of all time. Um, and as you were, as you were going on with that one, I was like, okay, maybe I can think of something better. All right. But what I else? couldn't No, The only, that was, it was even all right. Better, all right. All right. right? Like, well, that, that's still in the one hole, but like literally and don't be a menace in South central <laughs> while drinking your juice in the hood. That's the a- lady owns the convenience store called forties and nines and seven eleven. And she's in the in, <laughs> that movie's the, uh, ridiculous. in the ice cream cooler, and she's you know Marlon Wayans is in there. And she's like, "Hurry up and buy!" And like she's you know in the freezer, all shivering, holding like ice cream, <laughs> you know, holding like ice cream cones. 
and then you just get a spoof on everything and it's right. awesome but yeah so all right all right all right and hurry up and buy are the two iconic movie lines in, in my <laughs> those mind those are good like, movie lines you're coming at us with some heat that's yeah much more cerebral so no it's, no it's sorry it's, listeners that's what you get when i guess toast like no 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 that's that's what the listeners want that's they, they, <laughs> nobody's going to actually click on the link that i provide so it's fine um <laughs> uh tell you what i want to ask you one last question before we get out of here because this is this is kind of a customary thing uh where it's it, we're approaching the holidays here right you know christmas time and you know hanukkah or whatever else you might celebrate uh what's your favorite holiday movie now that we're talking about movies chris what what, what do you sit down to to get all cozy with in this time of year Man, i know no, that you're not a big movie guy but like yeah. what's what's one that you like to watch if you do like to watch it's it's christmas vacation without a doubt I okay mean, that's 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 the one for sure i uh end up watching that probably two or three times maybe not from start to finish but it'll be on on a loop like christmas right. carol to me it's probably blasphemy but i think that movie sucks like, <laughs> Like TNT or one of them shows it literally for like, you know, seven yeah, 24 hours, hours or whatever the heck they do. Yeah, it's nuts. Like, I, I think that movie's junk. But uh, yeah, Christmas Vacation is on a whole hell of a lot more than it, you know, probably even more than it than it needs to be. But uh, I, I got to go Christmas Vacation. What are you? I can't wait to hear. I'm sure it's something super deep. So what you <laughs> no, it's Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, there That's we go. <laughs> that is by far my favorite. I love the Muppet Christmas Carol. It's my favorite Christmas movie um i don't know why it cracks me up every time but like i just michael kane is scrooge talking to puppets just i i cannot stop laughing at it every time i watch it and it's like it's unintentionally funny sometimes and it's intentionally funny sometimes there's some decent songs it, it, i just love it i love it every year and i watch it all the time i, I you know i watch home alone and the christmas story and all these other things but it's really the Muppet Christmas Carol's where it's at for me. So that's that's my choice. Um so Chris, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on and talking with me on the dubcast. Um Andy will be back. Uh we're not it, it kind of depends on what happens with his adventure. So we'll see what happens with that. But when he comes back, he'll share all of his stories and it should be fun. Uh, but again, Chris, thanks so much for dropping the basketball information, giving your feedback and all the, the fun football Heisman controversy crap, all that good stuff. Um, and yeah, I just, I appreciate it, man. It's been good to having you on. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate the opportunity to join. It was a good time. And anytime you want to, you know, dumb the show down a little bit, if Andy's, Andy's <laughs> out, call me anytime. All right. Well, that sounds good. So that is the edition of the Dubcast this week. I'm Johnny. He's Chris and uh, we'll see you next time.